0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Sarah and Scott, Becca, Tony. What a great team. Glad to be together here. We're going to continue working through Matthew. But before we begin the sermon, what I'd just like to do is suggest again uh, we're going to be doing sermon notes, like it's me preaching. Of course, I've got a lot of stuff filling. in, so if you go to our website down at the very bottom at gracecc.net, you'll see a place where you can do Sunday sermon notes and also prayer requests. We'll have prayer at the end of this service online, but you can also send prayer requests in anytime, gracecc.net sermon notes, and if you're on the app, it'll look more like this. Sermon notes are there, and you can get them on your device. And prayer requests down there. Please ignore the picture of me. I'm, I'm not trying to advertise myself. I don't have anything to do with this. And we're we'll going to be doing communion. So if you want to get some elements now, some juice or wine, a bread of some sort, uh, whatever you've got to celebrate communion together here at the end of the sermon, we'll do that together. I want to read our passage. We're continuing through the Beatitudes, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5:31 powerful passage. It's been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Okay. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for a sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Boy, that's intense. But he goes on. You've heard that it was said to people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. Vows are very important in the society, as word is today. But I tell you, Do not swear by any oath at all, either by heaven, for it's God's throne, or by earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head. You cannot make one hair white or black. All you need to do is simply say yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. He's talking about all the equivocations people are making. Yes means yes. No means no. Let your word be good. Matthew 19, continuing the same thought with a little deeper... Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? And said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh, that whatever God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his certificate, wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but this is not the way from the beginning. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman commits adultery. Sermon on the Mount is such a powerful passage and as we look at this together, what I want to think about here is, well, let me just tell you a story. It, 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 I'm elaborating details a bit, but it's basically true. Uh, Michael and Val moved up here from Southern California and Michael is now manager uh, of a sales organization. And uh, let's just say, that Michael has his first meeting with his people he's managing tomorrow. And as he begins it, you know, the backstory here is Michael and his boss do not get along. They have not gotten along in California and they don't get along up here. But there it is. You work with who you got. So let's say that tomorrow they're on their Zoom meeting and they've got people from all over Oregon. So, Portland area, Eugene, Medford, Prineville, La Grande, Hermiston, Coos Bay. And you recognize a lot of different cultures, a lot of different cultures represented there. And let's say the boss is introducing, hey, this is Michael. He's our new manager. I want you to meet him. And by the way, Michael, what do you think about uh, Donald Trump? What's Michael feeling at that point? <laughs> I just got shot because whatever I say is going to offend some of the people I'm trying to develop a relationship. And he's going to, I don't know what, I mean, What would the story be in your life, where you just got shot by your manager? You just got shot by the guy you're responding to. He takes this out on you and puts you up and just lays you out in front of everybody. Hey, Michael, seemingly innocent question, what do you think about Donald Trump? He's got the virus now, you know. (laughs) Well, let's hope that doesn't happen, but it sure happened to Jesus. That's exactly what happened to Jesus. The Pharisees came to him in front of a group of people, and they brought their internal dispute to him. And they set him up because whatever he said, he's going to give major offense to people who are his followers or people he wants to be his followers. And it seems simple. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Now, there's a lot of points of agreement they all agreed that uh, sexual immorality, uh, adultery, breaks a marriage. They all agreed on that. But this goes beyond that. Because the debate here is, yeah, we know sexual immorality breaks it. We know that adultery breaks it. But is it beyond that? You know, she just doesn't make me happy anymore. She's burned my toast this morning. I'm done with her. Get out, woman. I mean, literally, it went that far with the school of uh, Shammai. Sorry, school of hello. Shema was more restrictive. It's only for certain things, particularly adultery or loss of conjugal rights or not giving food or clothing, those kinds of things. is it lawful? Jesus' response is significant, I think. Because what we're understanding here is the Pharisees are asking the question, how can I get God's approval to get rid of an unsacrificatory wife. See, they're, they're thinking about me and it's particularly men because in the Jewish society only men can divorce. How can I get God's approval to get rid of that woman? Jesus <laughs> has a very different take. Jesus is saying, how can I live out kingdom values in marriage and family even when it's not working out real well? See, very very different agendas. And boy, it doesn't take much thought at all to realize those are the same agendas we're facing today, exactly the same agendas, even in the church. I don't like this woman. I'm unhappy. How do I get rid of her and do it okay? I don't like this guy. He's not being nice to me. Jesus's values and the values of the Bible are, let's figure out how to make this work. Let's be agents of reconciliation. Let's be peacemakers. So this is Jesus. They quote Moses. (laughs) He quotes the God of Moses. Haven't you read the beginning? The creator made them male and female, quoting Genesis chapter 1. Have you read that? I mean, they've memorized it. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, that's Genesis 2. But there's one word that's added here. That's not in any Hebrew text. Although it was understood, Jesus specifies, and that extra word is the word two. Man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two, see it's ruling out polygamy, which wasn't real common, but it did happen. We know people like David have more than one wife, and people like Solomon have hundreds of wives, two. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. That's the joining that comes together. Therefore, what God has joined, let no one separate. So you see a very different perspective here. This is God joining things together. This is God joining things together. Very, very different. So when Jesus is talking here, Jesus is saying that marriage, one man, one woman, coming together, bonded, for life. One man, one woman becoming married, bonded together for life. That's the that's the from the beginning. And it's still God's picture today. That's exactly where God is. That's exactly where Jesus is, and that's exactly where the church is today. One man, one woman becoming husband and wife, bonded for life. That's the standard. That's just Jesus saying. Now, I want to unpack this a little bit, because what Jesus is doing is going back to Genesis, and I want to do that same thing. I want to go back to Genesis and look at dimensions of marriage as he develops it. So he begins with this, God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So one man, woman coming together as an aspect of the image of God but it's saying male and female are created realities and that's the foundation. Then what it says is this, God blessed them. See, because the key to humanity is that we're blessable by God. Blessable by God. And it's not just that. He says be fruitful Increase the in number and fill the earth. Now, there was no other humans in the earth at this point. But what he's saying here is create more blessable image bearing covenant partners. This is not just make babies. <laughs> That's the easy part. Well, not so easy. It can be very difficult to go through pregnancy. I've got a friend right now who's just right at the end of that. And she is very, very, very eager to be rid of that. Well, not be rid of, but get that little kid outside. See, there's a mission here. You begin with a great family. Marriage is about family. Not all children, will not children not come to all marriages, but that's the expectation, is the two come together for children. Some people can have children, so they do adopted kids or foster kids or different ways to do things. But it's normal that man and woman becomes family together. Then he gives them a mission. Rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, every living creature that moves on the ground. And beyond that, it's create communities that are characterized by blessable, image-bearing covenant partners who are living together in generosity and beauty and goodness and faithfulness and integrity and justice and those kinds of things. So you're creating communities. There's a mission. And marriage is missional. This is not just coming together for fulfillment, though that's a piece of it. It's coming together on a mission. A husband and a wife coming together have a mission to live out the beauty and the glory of God, as they go from this foundation to reach out to their neighbors and illustrate how God works with, with Him, the three persons of the Trinity. To illustrate how Jesus works with the church is a part of that. Genesis chapter two, the Lord God said, "It's not good for the man to be alone." Now it's not just because he can't find his socks. So there's some truth to that. Uh, it's not good for a man to be alone because they can't fulfill a mission. So he will make a helper. And that word helper doesn't mean somebody to get me some coffee in the morning. A helper is someone, is one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. The most common helper in scripture, of course, is God. So this one who does for us what he cannot do for us, that helper is suitable, NIV says, it's a crazy word. It literally means according to the opposite of him. Weird. Well, you don't ever translate something like that, but that's what it literally means. So what we usually do is translate it as corresponding to or complementary. Man and woman are both human, but they're different. And that's that partnership of coming together, and that's the great partnership. Now, I, I like partnership in marriage, but actually the word I like better is friendship is more than just a partnership. I mean, that that's true. It's a friendship, and it's more than a friendship. It's a bonding of a marriage, but friendship is a key piece of that. Then he goes on. The Lord God made a woman from the part he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man, and the man said, now this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she's taken out of man. And I, I, <laughs> I think... He's like singing a song. It's poetry in in the Bible. I think he sings a song of delight at what God has brought to him and what they're going to do together because that's why when man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And that partnering together now becomes a coupling and it's full of passion, full of passion. The Bible pictures the sexual union is something of great delight, but it's more than just the soulless, heartless physical action that's so common in our society today and was then too. It's a whole person, pleasurable, bonding experience where a husband and wife express, confirm, and deepen their marital relationship. And that's when it's so fulfilling, so fun. Great passion should be a part of the marriage, and that's God's design. But finally, they become one flesh, he says, they cleave to. I mean, that's the King James phrase. They hold fast to his wife, different way of saying this. Uh, This word here clings to his wife. I'm trying to get the picture of what this is, because marriage is more than just a fun time together. It's a it's a bonding to. All these different ways to translate that word there. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I look at that and that's that, the great bonding that happens. And I love that last phrase. They're both naked, meaning completely vulnerable. And felt no shame. Sharon, I just spent two and a half days at the coast... Uh, celebrating 52 and a half years of marriage, and I just, as I was thinking about this sermon, of course, and I think you know, she and I can be together naked physically, vulnerable emotionally, and even the shameful things we don't have to be ashamed of because we know that deep bonding is there. It's a beautiful thing. That's what a marriage should be. That's what a marriage is designed by God to be. Now, it doesn't always get there, but that's the goal of a marriage. That's the design of a marriage. Jesus says that what God has joined together let no one separate it's not just a physical thing it's not just a covenantal thing it's not just a legal thing it's not just a personal thing God is involved in this as well well they come back okay well Jesus why 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 did Moses command that a man give his wife and send her away and what he's thinking about there is, now they agreed that sexual adultery ruins a marriage. They agree on that. They agree on that. Everybody in that age agreed that if a husband refuses to give his wife food or clothing or conjugal rights, that is 21, or commits adultery on her, that that's cause for divorce. They all agree on that. The disagreement is, is to deserve other things. If she isn't as attractive anymore, if she doesn't please me, if she burns my supper, if she makes foods I don't like, if she doesn't serve me as I want to be served, see that was what it was. And frankly, the marriage customs in the majority Jewish world were very similar to today. If I don't like you, get out, or I'll get out. The question was that, and well, if she, if we commit adultery, commanded to get away. That's caught in Deuteronomy 24. They're quoting Moses. He's quoting God of Moses. Moses didn't command you, Jesus says. Moses permitted. Very different. Very different. Because the Pharisee said, if she doesn't please me, I've commanded to get rid of her because God doesn't want me to be unhappy. Jesus said, no, no, no. Moses permitted that because your hearts are hard. I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife, except for adultery, marries another woman, commits adultery. So Jesus is saying divorce is the product of sin. I hear people all the time say well there are biblical reasons that give an okay for divorce. And what I'd like to suggest to you is that biblically Jesus makes it very clear that divorce is always the product of sin. That doesn't mean that both people sin necessarily. Typically, it takes two to make it come apart, but not always. I've got a situation I'm working with right now where the man just I, I just, I don't want her anymore. And he just studied how to do adultery, actually looked up YouTube videos on how to flirt, and left his wife. And it's, she's probably as innocent as any human being can be. So it can be one-sided, but still, it's the product of sin. It's the product of sin. And that sin is the sort of thing that kills a marriage. Now, there are lots of sins that make marriage hard, but it's sins that kill a marriage is what Jesus is talking about here. Well, let's look at it. Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Now, understand what he's saying here. Hardness of heart is like Pharaoh, who even though God gave him all kinds of good reasons to let the people go and do the worship festival three days out in the desert, his hard heart said, no way. This also reminds us of Jeremiah 4.4, where God says, I'm going to divorce you because of your hardness of heart. And this is after hundreds of years, hundreds of years of Jesus trying to say, or God trying to say, please come back. I'll be faithful to you. I've been faithful to you. I'll give you things. Please be faithful. Hardness of heart. Not a good thing. It's sin. So that's the first thing. Hardness of heart can kill a marriage. Now that covers a lot. But it's not just a, I'm unhappy. It's a hardness of heart that makes you say no to God. Even though he's being miraculously powerful to you, as he was with, with Pharaoh. Doesn't stop there, though. Your hearts are hard. Anyone divorces his wife except for sexual immorality. Now, I want to note something here, because the word that's used here in Greek is the word porneia. Porneia, of course, is where we get our word pornography. And porneia is more than adultery which you see in the next line. The next line, and the word there of adultery is the, Hebrew, or the Greek word moicheia. They're two different things. Moicheia is sexual intercourse with woman other than your wife, or husband other than your husband, with a man other than your husband. Porneia is broader than that, as we look at it. So. A second thing that kills a marriage is porneia, which would be sexual uncleanness. It'd be sexual activity outside of marriage. And we saw Jay just a couple of weeks ago as he talked from the platform here. And he noted Jesus' statement that adultery in the sense of sexual intercourse with somebody else other than your spouse, that's clearly wrong. But what he says is there's, a, there's an adultery of your imagination. There's an adultery of your longing, where you start fantasizing and longing after another person. And that can kill a marriage, too, is what he's saying here. It's not just the physical act of intercourse with a person other than your spouse. Sexual uncleanness can kill a marriage. Now, it doesn't have to, of course, but it can kill a marriage if it's combined with a hardness of heart. Paul has a little different perspective. There's a lot to say in this passage, but to the rest of you, I say this. If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. If a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. Stay together, he's saying. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. So there's a third biblical thing that kills a marriage. And that's the unbelieving spouse leaving. Now, I don't think those are the only things that kill a marriage. But it's that level of things. I don't think this list is exhaustive. I think it's exemplary, but it covers a lot. And there are a lot of questions about when is a marriage dead. But I've seen dead marriages. And it's terrible. It's a mutilation Of the oneness. I had a friend who had been divorced several times and uh, this is in Pasadena. We were at Altadena Baptist Church and I was teaching on this passage and akin to what I'm doing here and I was leery to do it because this is such a good guy and I knew he had been through two divorces, was now married and he really loved his wife. And I was a little leery of doing the teaching but it was a Sunday school class and we were able to be very interactive. So as we were talking, I just said, you know, what do you think? As I'd gone through stuff similar to what I did here. And what he said, he looked at me and said, Gary, I could not agree with you more. I could not agree with you more. And his analogy is, OK, let me just take your left arm and let's jerk it out of your shoulder and drop it on the ground. He said, could you survive that? I said, frankly, I don't want to try. I suppose I could. He said, Gary, that's the way a divorce is. Because that bonding that comes together, when it's ripped apart, it kills things. It's a mutilation. Not an amputation, a mutilation. That's what divorce is. Now that I've walked with a number of people through divorces, you know, I have to agree with that. Even the friendly divorce is still a breaking apart that it's, it's a killing kind of thing. divorce is the legal recognition that a marriage is dead. I mean, you have to go through a process. Uh, Divorce is actually a difficult thing to do. Uh, And going through that process is just horrible. In our system, the lawyers make a lot of money off divorces. Uh, But it's a legal recognition that the marriage is dead. Just like a wedding, one-dimensional wedding is the legal recognition that a marriage has begun and it's consummated with the first uh, night together as husband and wife. So a wedding is a beautiful ceremony and it's a legal recognition that a marriage has begun. Divorce isn't... it's not beautiful. It's not. But it's a legal recognition that the marriage is dead. and. We have to understand that sin kills things, and you can't live in a dead space. So there is a place for divorce, but it's always a product of sin. It's always a product of death. The other reality is that, and this is a great reality, God can resurrect a broken marriage. God can resurrect a dead marriage. And that's what the heart of Jesus is, to Reconcile. I've had the good privilege on the pastoral side of my life to take some dead marriages, certainly some broken marriages. I'm just thinking of one right now where both couples are saying, "I, we're done. This is a, a cart race. This is a train wreck. They're talking about their marriage. And as we worked together and did some stuff together, and they are both still loved each other in a lot of ways. It wasn't dead. It was badly broken. And what I've seen is that marriage is back to a very good space. I just talked to them this week and uh, just seeing them laugh at each other and supporting each other. Now there will be more hard times ahead but the truth is that God can resurrect a broken or even a dead marriage but you've got to let him do it. It doesn't happen automatically. Just like marriage in the beginning doesn't happen automatically. What's this say? Husband, you must divorce her. Wife, you must not divorce him. You must not kick him out. 1 Corinthians 7. Matthew 19. What does Jesus say? Anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, marries another woman, commits adultery. Sin. Matthew 5. Anyone who divorces his wife except for immorality, makes her commit adultery, and a marriage divorced woman commits adultery. It's really clear here. And that echoes Malachi 2, which in the newer translations. In the older translations, I hate divorce, and that's really not the best translation, I think. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. This is poetry, and it's kind of hard to translate, but I think this is the point. The man who does not love his wife but divorces her is a man who proves he's unfaithful, and God is not going to honor that. That's what he's saying. So the reality, any man who kicks out his wife commits sin. Now, Jesus is teaching in a Jewish context where only a man can commit divorce. Paul is speaking in a Roman context, Greco-Roman context, where divorce can happen from the woman's side, too. So in our context, anyone who kicks out a spouse commits sin. Now, there may be a sin before that, sexual immorality or hardness of heart, but it's always a product of sin. I want to note something else here. Matthew chapter 5, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives a very challenging statement. Again, it's against the background where adultery was always a reason for a marriage. Exodus 21, a man who will refuse his wife conjugal rights or will not provide her food or clothing, everybody in the Jewish world recognized, yeah, that's sin, and kills a marriage. But Jesus says this, I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for pornea, look at this phrase, makes her commit adultery. How can a guy kicking his wife out make her commit adultery? How can a man saying to a woman that he has found unsatisfactory get out, or perhaps he's the one who gets out, but in the Jewish world it would be him saying to her, get out. How can he make her commit adultery? And there's an answer to that. And I think this is it. Jesus assumes the kicked out woman will remarry. But here's the thing. He blames the husband for her adultery. Now, in a sense, she is committing adultery because she has a living spouse. But that living spouse is the one who said, Get out! When the marriage was still alive, he just was unhappy with her. Get out! Forcing her out, and Jesus says, that husband makes her commit adultery, which, and what that's saying, is that, yeah, she is now remarried, And the adultery, and I put it in quotation marks, because the adultery is because, yes, there's a living spouse, but the living spouse is the one who kicked her out killing the marriage. And Jesus assumes she will remarry. Many people have said that Jesus never allows remarriage. He does. He does. I think this makes it clear. Now, lots of people disagree with me, but I think I'm right. But it's still a product of sin. It's still a product of sin. look at this phrase a man who marries a woman who's just left commits adultery a man who kicks his wife out causes her to commit adultery Jesus takes marriage very seriously and divorce is is a reality but it's always a product of sin I look in our contemporary world and I see lot of divorce. Shanti Feldman, in her Good News About Marriage book, has said that there are the common word is fifty percent of marriages end in divorce, and what she does by using Census Bureau reports, find out it's simply not true. Seventy-two percent of the people according to the Census Bureau are married to their original spouse. Seventy-two percent in the United States are married to the original spouse. And something like two-thirds say they're happy in their marriage overall. They're glad they married who they did. And a further thing that Shanti Feldman points out in Good News About Marriage is that people who go to church, the divorce rate drops by somewhere between 25 and 50%. If you're church-going, observant, godly people, it makes marriage go a lot better for you. So although divorce is a reality... And we get a lot of pictures of it. The reality is that marriages on the whole are still a good thing to do even in common culture. And if you bring in the godly culture, it's better yet. That's why I come back to what he says, God says. This is why man leaves his father and mother and bonds to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and felt no shame. (laughs) <laughs> what a great picture. I love that picture. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I Some things to think about. I asked Sherry about this this week. <laughs> I said, Sherry, am I the man of your dreams? <laughs> so I just put it here. I am not the person my spouse dreamed of marrying. I'm, I'm not. And we, have a, we actually have a good marriage. But she laughed and, uh, mm, no. But the thing of it is here, but with help, I can grow. Cher sure, had been through some help to make our life a lot better, our marriage a lot more fulfilling. But I'm not Joe Cool. She'd tend to look at her and say, well, she's not, you know, the fairy princess. But I'm not Joe Cool. But we can both grow. I must make every effort to purify my passions. Jay just looked at this around the ideas of lust and such. I must make every effort to purify my passions because there's lots of bad stuff here. And I do it not out of just white-knuckling it, but with the help of the transforming power of the gospel, with the, Holy Spirit, who indwells me in the community and in the community of the Spirit, I must make every effort to purify my passions. And on the notes, I've got a number of passages. I'd love to do some homework and talk about that because our world now is I've got to be who I am. I, and Jesus says, No, 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 you've got to grow into Christ's likeness. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to deny your passions, the sinful ones, and redirect those disordered passions to God's ordered way make every effort. Divorce in Jewish world, Roman world today, is often, I'm just not happy. Somehow happiness has become the greatest virtue. I don't quite understand that, but that's where it's at. And if I'm not happy, there's got to be somebody else. And usually what happens is divorce happens because I'm going to someone who seems more likely to fulfill me. The statistics on remarriages are dreadfully bad because I'm looking for my happiness instead of giving myself to another. It does not bode well. It does not bode well. Worship team, you want to come up here because we're going to sing here in just a bit. I love this picture. because <laughs> This is a wedding I did just a couple of weeks ago. This is Ainsley and Nikki and their wedding party and This is up in Vancouver and you could see it was a fun time. It was such a fun marriage and the whole story behind that. I just look at this picture and just laugh. Uh, They're two weeks in. We've got a lot of work yet to do but oh my gosh, love it. And when you think of marriage, you think of something like this, you know, staring deep in each other's eyes and there's a reality for sure, for sure, for sure, for sure. But there's also the reality that sometimes you're just barely hanging on. Sherry read me a passage out of her book, D. Henderson, it's a Christian suspenseful romance. Sometimes love comes easily, sometimes it's the most challenging decision a person ever makes. The reality doesn't make one way right and the other wrong, it just is. The love underlying marriage is more than an emotion, more than a set of facts adding up to a decision. It's the choice that this is the person I'm going to stay with for the rest of my life. It's something you have to make with your head and with your heart heavy. It's a decision with consequences. That's what marriage is. That's what marriage is. Live grace, receiving God's help, deliver as followers of Jesus i focused almost exclusively here on marriage. For single people, there's a whole other sermon. I, I hope we'll get to this later in, in the passage, but marriage is such a beautiful thing. And what I want to do here is I want us to have focus on communion because at Ainsley and Nikki's wedding, they did communion as a couple. It was a way of celebrating God's specific work in there. So if you can get some some elements some juice and some bread or some wine or whatever you got. And we just want to celebrate together the reality of how far God is willing to go to us who are broken, sinful people to bring us back. I'm going to lead right now, and you're welcome to join me as I do it, or you can just hold those And while the worship team is leading us in this amazing song we're moving into right now. I just want you to remember that when we take this little piece of bread and we say, with Jesus, this is my body, which is given for you. How far he is willing to go to restore us. If you want to join me, do this right now. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he took that third cup in the Passover meal, the cup of redemption, bringing the people out of slavery into the freedom. This cup is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, symbol of the Holy Spirit that makes us one. And if you want to follow with me now, remember, this is the cup of the new covenant in his blood. Worship team, I know you've got a good song for us. That's what I want to do, is sing what is true, always. And the truth is, that marriage is a God's plan for, not everybody, but for many people. I've been sitting here all the singing, Tony, when you're singing the crowd, Lord, what a powerful song. I'm thinking of some marriages that I've worked with who went all the way into adultery, full scale. But God's resurrecting work, has brought them back together. I was talking to one of those marriages just recently, and the husband and wife were telling me, so glad we didn't give up. Yeah, the marriage was dead, but God's alive. If you're in one of those troubled marriages, what I'd like to do is ask you to not give up hope, but to reach out to someone for help. Call the church office here, Jerry Smith, the care team, the pastoral team. We've got some resources we can work with you on. For those who are doing well in marriage, I love it. My two boys, both in good marriages, I reach out to somebody and say, how you doing? See, because we're blessed to bless. What I want you to do is to reach out and be a help to others, because God works through people typically. And for those of you who are divorced and you're still there, the one thing is really clear, very clear, is God does not put a despise on you. God puts a blessing on you. His heart is to go to the broken and the hurting, the widow, the orphan, and to put blessing and restoration. And love into that. Please don't give up hope in God. I just texting with a couple, both have prior marriages before I did their wedding a while back, and uh, I have a picture on my phone. I keep it there because when we were doing premarital, there was a time when we played a song that was her favorite song, and he's been through a difficult session. And I watched her crawl up into his lap and him just hold her and hug her. And there, as I played the song on my computer there, they just are sobbing together. There's hope and restoration, perhaps a remarriage. The God of hope lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your life that brings hope to the hopeless, healing to the broken, beauty for ashes, laughter for mourning. Now just think of those who are in the lament side now. Lord, let them cry out to you, as Tony sang. For all of us, we want to be a blessing to those around us who are hurting, tired, and encouragement to those who are doing well. We call that together. May our marriages and our lives always be testimony of your grace. We pray here at Grace Community Church in Jesus' name. Amen. Go change the world. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.